All right, good morning. How are you today? That was a pretty good response. How about the worship this morning? Let's just say thanks to the band for leading us in worship this morning. So great to be here. My name is John Ferguson. I'm one of the pastors here at Community. And uh, some of you might not know my story, but uh, about five years ago, my wife and my kids moved to the north side of Chicago to help start new campuses of Community Christian Church in Chicago. And because of your generosity and your vision, Patrick talked about what new things about. Community is all about what new things about, and that's catalyzing churches that are reaching people and helping them find their way back to God. Because of your vision and generosity, I could tell you three locations in the city of Chicago now are helping more people find their way back to God. So um, I think that's just worth kind of giving yourselves an applause. So I get to come out here and, and teach once in a while, and it's always, always great, great to be here. You know, I have found that, uh, you know, there are certain practices of Christ followers that are fairly easy to talk about and typically kind of make sense to most people. Uh, For example, when we talk about prayer, you know, whether you believe in it or not, I think most people can understand prayer, what it is, and and why some people would choose to practice it. Are you with me? That kind of makes sense, doesn't it, prayer? Or you think about Bible reading, you know, it's not hard for people to grasp why a Christ follower would want to read and reflect on Scripture. I think that makes sense, doesn't it? Are you with me? Give me a nod of the head. That makes sense, doesn't it? But our topic today, okay, our topic today might be just a little bit different. The topic today is healing. And that's where it can start to get a little more uncomfortable, as I see some of you kind of begin to fidget in your chair just a little bit. Now, when we talk about someone healing, maybe after a surgery or after an injury, I think we get that, right? Or when someone uh, maybe was, um, you know, recently went through an illness for a season and they're they're in recovery, we might say that they're healing up. And I think that makes sense. But when it comes to the idea of a miraculous healing, you know, where someone who is physically blind can now see or where someone who is paralyzed can now walk or, you know, when the Chicago Cubs win 15 out of 16 games. You guys know I can't help it. I'm from the north side. But when I think of healing, and I don't know about you, but when I think of healing, okay, (laughs) unfortunately, it it tends to conjure up scenes like this. Take a look. Just relax. Cherry hat, section four, row F. Yes, sir. In the brown jacket. I feel a burden you're carrying. Who? Who, me? Yes, sir. Now stand up and tell me if I'm hearing the Lord right. You're having a problem with your neighbor, am I right? I sure am. Building a fence. Going to harm your kids, right? Well, the Lord tells me Amazing. the best way to an enemy is you make them your friend. You talk to them and serve them up your best fried chicken. Because yours is the best in the county, ain't it, ma'am? You know it is. Well, boy, I'd love to give me some of that. Now, come on and thank the Lord for his saving. <laughs> Fishing camp, section four, row F. You, sir, come up on stage and be cured of your gambling. And you, ma'am, in the nice pink dress, receive the Lord and you will find another job. Section 3, first row. The white shirt, back problem. And you, sir, believe in the Lord and cure your backaches. Same section, yellow shirt, hearing problem. And you, sir, in the yellow shirt, come on up on stage. Hearing problem. You know, I, I think when a lot of us went and saw that movie, we, we came away going, oh, that's how they do that, right? Oh, man, scary but very, very funny stuff. <laughs> uh, so why are we talking about healing? Why are we talking about this topic of healing? Well, because today we continue our series, Thy Kingdom Come. 
And you know, in this series, we're talking about what it would look like if Jesus' famous prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, actually was answered. Now, let me just ask a quick show of hands. How many of you have prayed that prayer at one time or another? All right, almost everyone. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one, but how many of you have prayed that prayer, but maybe you didn't fully understand what it was really saying? I know I have, absolutely. Now, last week, if you were here, we talked about how the kingdom of God is simply when God gets what God wants. The kingdom of God is when God gets what God wants. What is the kingdom of God? Help me out. Right, when God gets what God wants. I mean, it's how life works when God's dreams are realized. And I know when we define it like that, sometimes it can kind of feel like maybe God's a narcissist, you know? Uh, But God doesn't operate like we do. No, it turns out that God's self-interest is everyone else's best interest. Do you ever think about it that way? See, God's self-interest is everyone else's best interest. Now, I don't know about you, but my self-interest is all about me. And I can tell you that the kingdom of John is not a place you want to be. Me getting what me wants all the time is not a good plan for you or me. But you see, God getting what God wants, that's a whole different deal, means the world's a place where the shalom of God happens. And the shalom of God, I mean, it's all about wholeness and peace and love and joy that just kind of radiates everywhere where we live and where we work and where we play. I mean, it's the dream that God had for us from the very beginning. That's what it's all about. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Now, I know we don't have to look very hard to recognize that with far too many people and in far too many places, uh, the kingdom of God is not happening. God's not getting what God wants. I mean, I think we'd agree that violence and crime rule in far too many communities. Loneliness and depression runs rampant. Way too many children don't have access to an adequate education. And so you see, the challenge for us in this series is for all of us then to become kingdom people. Say that after me, okay? Kingdom people. Right. People who serve God as our king, and we do all we can to ensure that God gets what God wants. Now, I hope you have a program with you. Uh, I'll tell you what, pick that up if you would right now. Just hold on to that, all right? Because later on in the service, I'm going to ask you to to respond. And you can kind of look at this where it says Community 412 response. We're going to come back to that later. But this is going to be all about us being kingdom people and ensuring that God gets what God wants. You see, when Jesus uh, walked this earth, he gave us a glimpse of what heaven on earth could look like. You know, the way he lived, the people that he hung out with, and the words that he spoke showed what it looks like when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he reveals what he's going to be about, his mission, and it gives us a glimpse of what it looks like when his kingdom actually reigns over the earth. And we read about this in the writings of Luke. Luke was a a doctor, actually, who was one of the first followers of Jesus. And at this point, Jesus had just finished a 40-day fast in the desert. Now, a 40-day fast. Can you imagine that? Where Satan tempts him to abandon his mission. But Jesus overcomes the temptation, finishes his fast, and then he heads back to Galilee where he's going to begin his ministry. As Jesus teaches, I mean, people are really starting to connect with him and his message. I mean, he's different than anybody else they've heard talk and, and, and wanted to follow in the past. I mean, his reputation begins to spread. His popularity is on the rise. And so he eventually goes to his home, hometown and the synagogue there. And it's, and it's kind of like the, the boy who's doing good comes home. And so some of the old timers at the synagogue ask him if he would stand up and share a few thoughts from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. This is what Jesus reads, Okay. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along or you can look up here on the screen as well. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, 
For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Sounds a little bit like that song we sang before I came up here, doesn't it? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, for clarity's sake, okay, let's, let's highlight what Jesus say, said he came to do. He came to what? Bring good news to the poor. He came to proclaim that the captives would be set free, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I mean, what Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah was a passage of hope, a passage of of redemption, a passage that calls people, you know, to look forward to a new day. And then after he read it, he sat down, which was customary for teachers to do in that context. And then he simply says this. He says, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. The scripture I just read, Jesus said, has been fulfilled this very day. See, Jesus is saying that all that that the prophet was talking about, all that talk about good news and the captives being released and and people's sight being restored to the blind, all that happening is starting today. Jesus is saying, this is fulfilled in me. Jesus is saying, I am the long-awaited Messiah. This is why I came. This is why I'm here. This is what my kingdom is all about. Now, I think we can hear that and we can kind of think, well, you know, I bet that message really played well back then. I mean, after all, his people were under, you know, tremendous oppression from the Roman Empire. You know, slavery was a part of everyday life. Healthcare was so primitive that only a miracle could heal the sick. But today, I mean, if Jesus were to come in person and say this today, you know, it might seem a little over the top. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe a little extreme, Right? Captives released, oppressed, set free. Really? Or could it be that the poor need good news today just as much as they ever have? Maybe there are as many captives needing to be released today as there were when Jesus first said this. And and, and could it be that there is blindness and oppression today just like there was in Jesus' time, but we just don't see it that way? Let's talk about brokenness, oppression, and captivity for a moment. And, you know, we can start with the impact of world disasters, floods, earthquakes, famine. I mean, they wreak havoc on communities and leave them in chaos almost every day. I mean, this year marks the the fifth anniversary of the devastating earthquake in Haiti. Thousands of people were displaced by that natural disaster, and thousands remain homeless five years later. Yes, brokenness, oppression, and captivity are still in our world. Or how how about this? In our world today, 30 million people are enslaved through forced labor or sex trafficking. 30 million. That's one out of every 280 people worldwide. One out of 280 people worldwide. Yeah, sadly, brokenness, oppression, and captivity remain. And we don't have to travel beyond our borders or even outside of our own communities to find it. I think we know this. It's all around us. I mean, so many people continue to be broken from deep emotional wounds that occurred when they were children. Others grew up in oppressive cycles of poverty and continue to lack education and proper health care. So many people are held captive by depression and all sorts of addictions like workaholism and materialism. 
Yeah, I mean, brokenness, oppression, and captivity are everywhere. Here's one story from right here in our church. My name is Pauline Ledesma, and I have four kids, Eddie, Natalie, Melanie, and Evelyn, and I've been coming to community for four years. In 2001, my husband, that I've been married to for 11 years, decided to have an affair with my best friend at the time, and this was a very difficult time for me and my three kids, Eddie, Natalie, and Melanie. Um, I decided to get to, to divorce him, and um, I left, and I moved in with my family. In 2003, I met Jim. I was with Jim for about 10 years, and that's when my daughter Evelyn came. About a year into my relationship with Jim, uh, I noticed that he you know, had addictions and a lot of demons inside of him. I did notice as years went on that he was having a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress and depression. So I took him to the doctor to uh, help him get some medication to maybe put, the, you know, help that get that under control. Uh, to me, I guess it just made things worse in a sense that because he was still drinking, he was still taking drugs. We actually had a little disagreement where I was begging him to, you know, stop drinking while taking the medication. He didn't want to listen to me, so normally he would go outside in the garage to cool off. That was his cooling off place, and, you know, we would stop fighting. But when I woke up in the morning, he wasn't in the house. And I went to look for him, and I found him outside. Uh, he had passed away uh, by taking an overdose of his, his medication. I just remember hugging him until, they, until the ambulance came, and I felt somewhat to blame. I felt like it was, I didn't do enough. So after Jim died, uh, I found myself alone, my four kids, and I was in a really, really bad way as far as debt. And this debt occurred because of very poor decisions that I made on my end. And not only had it put us in trouble financially, but I was also, there was a possibility that I could lose my job. During this time, I was scared. I didn't know what I was going to do. If I lose my job, how am I going to take care of my kids? I felt alone. I just felt like I had nowhere to go. And we're going to stop Pauline's story there. We're going to come back to it. But for now, I want you to realize that, you know, Pauline, without a doubt, I mean, she's in a situation where she feels stuck. I think we'd all agree. A prisoner to debt. Maybe even more than that, a captive to, to hopelessness, uh, loneliness. And so let me just ask you right now, okay, today, do you know anyone like Pauline? Do you know anybody like Pauline? And what would it look like for God's kingdom to come to Pauline or maybe that person that you're thinking of right now? I mean, what would it look like to bring healing to that situation, to her situation? But before we answer that, I want to ask you a personal question, okay? You ready? That's not the personal question. <laughs> Here's the personal question. What's your gut reaction to Pauline's story, honestly? What's your gut reaction to Pauline's story? 
What are you thinking that you might not say out loud? Now, I'm not proud to say this, but I have to confess something. You know, when I hear someone else's story, someone else's story, like Pauline's, I can get kind of cynical and I can start to play the blame game. See, I do this when I hear someone else's story because when it's my story, I have good reasons for being stuck. (laughs) But when it's someone else's story, right, I can start poking holes in it. Am I the only one? Anybody else ever do that? You know what I mean? In, in, you know, in Pauline's case, you know, I, I, I might try to assign blame by, by asking, well, you know, okay, what did she do to cause her husband to leave in the first place? Or, you know, why did she jump into another, you know, seemingly unhealthy relationship? And, 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 you know, and why did she rack up so much credit card debt? And, and you know what? I mean, the blame game isn't anything new. You know, even, <laughs> even back in Jesus' day, it's interesting, it was being played. Check this out. Jesus' friend John Okay, wrote this. He said, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Okay? Jesus and his disciples, his followers, are walking along. They see a man who was born blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked, Rabbi means teacher, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And basically they're asking, hey, whose fault is this, Jesus? I mean, why, why is he born blind? And see, I think underlying that question is that feeling that so many of us have that, you know, the world just isn't as it should be. I mean, the way so many people suffer and, and, and struggle, that's just not how it's supposed to be. Something's just not right. I mean, can, can you relate to that feeling? Can you? That when we see this going on, we, we just go, man, something's just not right. Or, or maybe this is much more personal for you. And, you know, you would say you are suffering or, or someone you're close to is suffering Someone you know is oppressed. But you know what? Even when it's very personal, I think we still tend to ask, okay, why is this happening? I mean, who's to blame for this suffering? But look at Jesus' response when his closest followers were saying, okay, you know, why is this guy born blind? I mean, is it his sin? Was it his parents' sin? I mean, why is this happening? Here's what Jesus responds by saying. This is from the uh, message paraphrase translation. I love how it's stated. Jesus says, you're asking the wrong questions. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Then he says, we need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the work day is over. See, we're no different from Jesus' closest followers, the disciples. I mean, we often jump to the blame game, don't we? Or we can get stuck on questions like, well, you know, you know, can God really heal a person? Or, you know, why does he heal some and, and not others? And, well, I know that God wants us to bring our questions and doubts to him. Without a doubt, see, he doesn't want us to get stuck there. That's so important. And I think he's saying that, hey, while you're questioning and while you're doubting, okay, bring that to me. That's fine. That's okay. But while you're doing that, don't get stuck. Look for what I'm doing and ask, how can I help? I think he's saying, get in the game. See, the danger of getting stuck is that our frustrations can turn to bitterness and to anger when our questions don't get answered or they don't get answered the way we want them to be answered. And while we sit in the blame game and in disappointment, we can miss what God is actually doing and how he could use us, kingdom people, to be agents of healing. You see, as we continue to read this story, Jesus touches the blind man and he heals him. Actually, uh, he spits in the ground, makes some mud, rubs it in his hands, and spreads it on the man's eyes. It's kind of gross, isn't it? He tells him to go wash, and when he does, he can see. 
Personally, I would like for my healing to be a little more sanitary. You know, maybe just kind of wave a magic wand or say a few magic words or something. But you see, I wonder if maybe Jesus is letting us know that if we're going to join him in the healing process, it may mean that we have to get out of our comfort zones a little bit, and we might have to get our hands a little bit dirty. Are you with me? It reminds me of what Henry Nouwen writes in his book, Wounded Healer. And he says this. He says, who can listen to a story of loneliness and despair without taking the risk of experiencing similar pains in his own heart and even losing his precious peace of mind? In short, who can take away suffering without entering it? You see, I think Jesus' story of the blind man can also be a metaphor for what healing on earth as it is in heaven looks like on a larger scale. See, Jesus restores light to the blind man. He brings light to this particular man. And see, I think healing on a larger scale for us may seem, may mean God's people bringing light into dark places. See, Jesus said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus was physically in the world when he healed this blind man, right? He restored sight to the blind man. And today, he continues to live in the world, but he's living in the world through us. And he told us, his followers, you are now the light of the world. And so we're called to be kingdom people. And since God's self-interest is everyone else's best interest, we're going to be all about ensuring that God's interests are our greatest priority, that what God wants gets done. And so we will bring hope to the hopeless, help to the helpless, and light to the darkest of dark places. That's what we need to be about. And see, we may not always be able to physically restore sight to the blind man, but you know what? We can bring light by walking alongside him and being his eyes for him. Can we not? And let me tell you, I believe miracles can and do still happen. God still brings about supernatural healing in ways that cannot be explained otherwise. But when that does not happen, see, there are other kinds of healing that we can bring that may be every bit as impactful. And as his agents of healing, see, we can bring healing through a gentle touch, an an understanding heart, a generous gift, or simply sitting with someone in their deepest, darkest moment of despair. See, we can bring healing when we tutor a child not at reading grade level. We can bring healing when we speak out against racism or sexism. We can bring healing when we go with less so that others can have more. We bring healing when we become foster parents. We bring healing when we show compassion while others judge. See, we become the light when we ask, what is God doing here and how can I help? Let's take a look at the rest of Pauline's story, okay? I really wanted to reach out to somebody at that point in time. I called Dave Roche, the pastor at Lamont, and I made an appointment to meet with him. Here's a woman who's obviously devastated, and, and, and she shares the story with me of her fiance who had just passed away about a month ago, uh, and then talks to me about being in thousands and thousands of dollars of debt, and, and also talking about that, you know, she could be losing her job. He just sat there and he listened to everything that I had to say, and I didn't feel judged. I felt, I felt like he really cared about my situation. But I knew that we had some generous people at our campus, and so I, I put together a list. I just did a, a, an email list of people that I knew, and I emailed all of them, told them a little bit about the story. It wasn't even a week after meeting with Dave and going to the church that um, he stopped after 
service and said, you know, can I talk to you? He said, I just want to let you know that I talked to some of the church attenders and we would like to help you and we would like to pay your debt. And I just could not believe what I was hearing. I was like, no, you're not telling me the truth, right? He's like, no, we want, we want to pay this for you. And I'm like, but I can't pay you back. And he's like, we're not asking you that. We want to help you. I didn't know what to say. I just felt like this doesn't happen in real life. You know, it was months after uh, that, um, you know, that she started coming to our church, that you know, she was baptized. Her, uh, a couple of her daughters were baptized. Her mom was baptized. Her sister was baptized. Uh, years later, they're all still coming. Pauline um, uh, went through divorce care, led divorce care. Um, Pauline is now leading a small group. And then when it comes to her generosity, uh, she was challenged pretty early on. We were really talking about the debt that she was in, um, that maybe one of the ways to, to really fight that is to become a, a generous person. And she took that, and she took that challenge, and she took it beyond anything that I would have ever even challenged her to do. I was always worried about money and about how we were gonna, you know, how we were gonna make it the next week. And I don't worry about those things anymore. And I don't worry about those things anymore because number one, I have Jesus. And number two, I have a community around me. She's one of our top givers. I mean, here is a single mom um, that not that long ago was in, the, was in really this prison of, of shame, this prison of pain, this prison of debt, this prison of unforgiveness. And now she's living as a forgiven person. She's living as a free person. She's living as a, as a generous person and um, is inspiring so many people and is bringing the kingdom to so many other people's lives because of what Jesus has done in her life. That's a great story. And boy, I, I think it's so important to, to consider what Dave did in that situation. The first thing he did was what? Did you catch that? He simply listened. Okay, who here can't do that? And then he started talking to other people. Got them involved together, right? And see, this story is not just about Pauline. See, it is. It's about a group of Christ followers who decided not to play the blame game, not get stuck there, and ask instead, what is God doing here and how can we help? And that is a story of healing. So let me ask you today, okay, who is your Pauline? All right, who is your Pauline? I mean, who do you know that others might blame and, and judge? I mean, who desperately needs you to bring the light of God's kingdom into their darkness? Who is it? Maybe it's an undocumented immigrant who can't feed his family. Maybe it's a single mother with, you know, three kids who's pregnant again. Maybe it's a teenager who has only found community uh, within the context of a gang. Maybe it's a third grader reading at a first grade level. Maybe it's an ex-felon who can't find work. Maybe it's a recovering alcoholic who has fallen off the wagon again. You see, sometimes Pauline is an individual. And in those cases, oftentimes just one person or a small group can bring much needed light. But you know, often Pauline is an entire community and bringing light to that kind of darkness can seem impossible, can't it? When you look at the problems, the systemic challenges that we face, it can seem like it's impossible. But you know what? I think that's exactly what the enemy wants us to think, that the problem is just too big, there's too much bureaucracy, there's too much work. But you know what? By joining together, we can make a difference. We can bring a light even to those big, dark places. 
know, we talk a lot about the challenges of kids and families in our neighboring community of East Aurora, particularly around education. And only about 40% of elementary students in the district, District 131, meet or exceed state standards in reading and math in East Aurora. And that is a daunting challenge. I think by anybody's measure, we would say that is a huge challenge. And I think it's easy to feel overwhelmed, isn't it, when you hear something like that? But you know what? If each one of us, all right, kingdom people right here in this room committed to tutoring or mentoring one child, we could make a huge difference and we could raise that number from 40% to 50%, from 50% to 60, 80, and beyond. Community 412 had 80 mentors or tutors working in East Aurora last year. And they've set a pretty significant goal. They want to double. They want to double the number of tutors this year. And there are many different ways and days and times and opportunities to get engaged in what God is doing in East Aurora. But see, today you can avoid the blame game and join what God is already doing to bring light into that community. And that's why I ask you to take out your program because if you look on this side here, it says Community 412 Response. Hold that up. I just want to make sure everybody has one. All right? You got that? And it says, yes, I want to invest in the life of an East Aurora student. And this is simply giving you the opportunity to get some more information. All right? I want to challenge as many as possible in this room. Just if you're at all thinking, okay, maybe God's prompting you. You're thinking, yeah, I've often thought that is a daunting task. But you know what? I I don't want to get stuck. I'm not going to play the blame game. I'm going to be an agent of healing. Because together we can make a huge impact. You can fill this out, drop it in the offering bag, or you can take it to the Welcome Center after the service as well. There's a table with people there that would love to tell you more about the opportunities that are available there. I'll tell you what, let's wrap this up. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt once said, it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. It's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. And man, I'm telling you, as kingdom people, see, we have the opportunity to be lights that bring healing and heaven right here to earth. And I know how it is. It's so easy to sometimes think that a single candle, you know, with a single candle, there's no way you can bring light to this dark earth. But again, if all of us come together, I mean, look at this room. I mean, this, this place is getting packed. More and more people every week. But if all of us will come together and together our lights collectively can snuff out any darkness and we can be the answer to Jesus' prayer. We can be the answer to that prayer. Let's say it together, okay? Thy kingdom come, help me out. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, let's pray. Father God, God, help us to not play the blame game. God, help us to instead ask, you know, what are you doing here and, and how can we help? Help us not to get stuck. It's so easy to get stuck or to feel like, you know, on our own, there's no way we can make a difference. God, help us to see that collectively is your community of faith Single lights coming together, we can bring light to the darkest of dark places. God, we know your self-interest is everyone else's best interest, and we want to be about that. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen?